Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, I do invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2 for today's passage. We also have no idea why the sound system is doing what it is, but we can assure you will be awake through the message this morning because of it. It's a joy to be with you this morning on this beautiful Lord's Day, um, as well as the day that we celebrate Christ's birth. Uh, I've been told um, through the calendar that this will not take place again for 11 years. Maybe Christ will return before then, and this will be the last Christmas Day, Lord's Day combination. That would be quite all right were it to be so. But every Sunday, every Lord's Day is a day to celebrate our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is Lord. We've been very blessed this time of year um, during our Advent season. Uh, This time of year, uh, this Advent season in particular, we chose to look at particular passages, particular Old Testament passages that pointed forward, that looked ahead, that looked with anticipation of who that Christ would be and what he would come to do. We looked at various places like Genesis 3 to see him as the conquering son. We looked to Isaiah 9 to see him as Almighty God, Mighty Counselor, Wonderful Father, and Prince of Peace. We looked at Micah chapter 5 to see him as a loving father and an usherer of peace, one who loves his people. And then we saw him as the true shepherd, the true shepherd from Ezekiel 32, the one that would shepherd the flock. Well, this morning, and if you were with us yesterday evening for our Christmas Eve service, you know that last night we were in the book of John, and this morning we're in Luke chapter 2, and I wanted us to round out this season with starting to see some of those things fulfilled, to start to see some of those prophecies come true, that which was foretold to see it coming before us. And so this evening we will be in a very familiar passage, Luke chapter 2. And as we prepare to read Luke, uh, it's always important to know um, the intent of the author. And we know from Luke very clearly, he writes in the introduction to this book and the introduction to the book of Acts, he writes to Theophilus that you might have an accurate account of that which took place, that you may know Christ is Lord. And so Luke gives us a detailed account, an accurate account, an orderly account, so that we might understand what happened. And what happened? Well, a Savior was born. Would you please follow along with me as I read for us from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2. I'll start in verse 1 and read through the 21st verse. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we ask his blessing upon this time? Dear Heavenly Father, what a wonderful, precious story that we have heard this morning. To hear of the birth of our Savior, to get a glimpse into the events surrounding it. Oh, that that would fill us with excitement, would that fulfill us with contentment, would that humble our hearts this day. Father, we know that If you do not open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit, while seeing we may not see and hearing we may not hear, listening we may not believe. And so I ask, O Lord, now during this time, by the power of your Holy Spirit, grant us sight, grant us hearing, grant us a soft heart, that not only may we hear your word, but that we may believe in your word and ultimately believe in you. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given us. I ask your blessing upon it. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Back in August of this year, news channels broke in a very important story, one that circled the globe, and I know that it's coming immediately to your mind which one this is. It all centered around the Cincinnati Zoo. Supposedly... A hippo was born at the Cincinnati Zoo in August. And this is newsworthy because this hippo was a sibling to another hippo that was born at the Cincinnati Zoo. The first one, of course, named Fiona, was born prematurely in 2017. And so when this mother birthed its second hippo, and this one wasn't premature, much to do was made about these two animals. Now, we do this as people as well. When a celebrity is said to be with child or major news is found out or someone does something in their lives, we have to know, we want to make a big deal about it. Now, I'm proud to tell you, though, that I really didn't know that this took place. I don't watch the news that much. I had to look it up. But that's how our hearts are, isn't it? We make much to do about things that... Do they really matter? It's great for the hippo. Fantastic. 
And it's great for the celebrities that, that have children or move careers or change towns or act in movies or whatever. But what's sad to me and what we see the case in our passage this morning is often when it really matters. When, when it's a really a, an event that is newsworthy, that, that should garner our attention, our focus, our energy, and our effort, it goes silent. It is overlooked. It is ignored. Why? Mainly because what the world deems important doesn't have anything to do with anything of eternal significance. Most of the time, it is trivial at best. And sadly, that was the case for our Savior. The King of King, kings and the Lord of lords is born. And you've got an entire Old Testament, thousands of years of preparation of his word, of his message. And we've just looked at four prophecies uh, during our Advent, but you could look at hundreds of prophecies. The Savior's coming. The Messiah's coming. The promised one is coming. The one to forgive your sin is coming. The one to make you whole is coming. Get ready. Be ready. Look ahead. Await with anticipation. Don't forget over and over and over again. And yet, the birth comes, and it's all but forgotten, except by a few notable people, and we'll get to that in a moment. The greatest event in human history takes place, and it's relegated to the barn in the backyard. But, I would say, according to God's providence, that's exactly what he wanted and he wanted it for a few very particular reasons. And I want us to consider some of those reasons this morning. I want us to see that this moment, this scene, as it is laid out before us, does fulfill Old Testament prophecy. It happened exactly like God said it would happen. I also want us to see that heaven was excited about the birth of Christ. We, we get a lackluster response from the world, but the heavens rejoice. And then lastly, I do want us to contemplate and consider the worldly response or the human response, um, both in the shepherds and in our own hearts this day. So I want us to walk through our passage um, beginning with this Old Testament fulfillment in the birth of Christ. And really to understand this and appreciate this as we did during Advent, you've got to go back to the fall. From that point forward, in that moment of judgment, Genesis chapter 3, God speaking to the serpent, promising a seed of the woman will come, and he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. But there will be victory for the Lord. There will be restoration. That which Adam failed to do, the second Adam would accomplish. And you can imagine for Adam and Eve, they're just told one of your children will fulfill this promise. And then Abel is born. And you can just you can see it in their head, and you don't blame them for it. They're like, oh boy, here he is. And then he dies. And well, maybe it's Cain. Well, finding out he's the one that killed Abel. Maybe it's Seth. Oh, no, it's not Seth. And then we go forward to Genesis chapter 5, and then we get, these are the generations. Oh boy, here comes some time. Nope, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. And time, it keeps marching forth. To the point we get to Genesis 6, and then Genesis 6 tells us something um, quite remarkable. The world is so wicked that God desires to destroy mankind, for they've turned their hearts against him, save one. So it could have been any of them, right? 
And then the flood happens, and then we kind of start over with the repopulation of the earth. And generation after generation, child after child, the people wax and wane in their faith, sometimes having more, sometimes having less. Looking ahead, forgetting to look ahead. Remembering their Savior, forgetting their Savior. But that one that was promised didn't come. Time marched on and on and on. But there were indicators. There were moments. It doesn't just, he doesn't just leave us with Genesis chapter 3, although he very well could have. Again, to look at a passage we looked at during Advent, Micah. Micah chapter 5 tells us, You, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now, let's put on our, 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 our scholarly hats here. Micah says that the Savior will come, that he will come from Bethlehem. Now, if you were the kind of person that wanted to see the Savior, you wanted this, this is something you wanted to be about, wouldn't you all flock to Bethlehem? I mean, Micah pretty well lays it out for us right there. A ruler will come from you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And, by the way, he will be precisely from Bethlehem. And yet, no one is looking. And Jesus not only would he come from Bethlehem, but it says that he is to be ruler. You know, if you look at Matthew's gospel that parallels this account, um, you've got the, the wise men saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So not everybody forgot. The wise men know. They saw the sign, the sign of the star, which would be a topic for another sermon. But they were looking. They were looking for that king, that promised one. They didn't remember he used to be in Bethlehem. They had to follow a star to get there, but they remembered. Why is this significant? Well, this is significant because if we look at Luke chapter 2, in this first section, the section we kind of just like gloss over um, because census and that's too closely related to taxes and that's things that make us feel kind of queasy and unpleasant. So we're like, okay, get to the good stuff, get to the shepherds. But listen to what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to registered, be registered, each from his own town. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Jesus Christ was born where? Oh, in Bethlehem. Almost as if Micah was a prophet and what he said was right. You see, the Old Testament gives us these markers, gives us these promises that show us where he would be and who he would be. There's another prophecy wrapped up in here as well. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, we need to understand that a little more. Not just that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, but that he would be of the lineage of David. And to understand that, we've got to go, or we could go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a covenant or a promise with King David. And here's what God says. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, just verse 12, right there, we could go, oh, Solomon, we got it. We, we understand who this would be. It says, David is your son. The, it says, I will give you a son, and that son shall build to me a house. Oh, the temple, got it. But we've got this, this, this sneaky little line in here in verse 13. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Are we still under the kingship of Solomon? Are, are, are we still sitting under his rule? Was his reign eternal? No. No, it was not. His line fell. In fact, his line was shattered. But, we go back to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. Jesus Christ was of the line of David. And the gospel writers, they make a point of this. If you go to the genealogy sections, um, you see very clearly that Jesus is in the bloodline of David, King David. Why? Because he would be the son from 2 Samuel chapter 7 who would sit on the throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This could be only Jesus Christ. And these are just two very small points um, that, that are easy to overlook in our passage, but are vitally important. And, and while we could spend the rest of our morning taking those pieces and, and really pulling them apart and seeing the, the entire biblical context, I want to point your attention to one more. I know this section's Old Testament points ahead, but this one's actually in our text itself. And this one's really easy to overlook. Verse 7, look at verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now look down to the next section. That, that Starting in verse 8. Look at what the angel says. Um, it happens, I think, specifically in verse 12. The angel tells the shepherds, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, we see the event take place. We know that they're in a manger. or We know that they're in a barn. We know that the child's in a manger. We know that the child's wrapped in swaddling cloths. And then fast forward to the angels being told, Hey, shepherds, Go see this baby. You've got to check him out. This is the one you've been waiting for. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. Pause. All the babies that night would have been wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's like, if you can remember, or, or those of you that have children now, that's that blue and pink striped blanket that you were given in the hospital. You know what I'm talking about, especially you mothers. You know it. You may still have it. That wouldn't have marked anybody apart. That wouldn't have been, that you might as well have just said, you'll find a baby. Oh, <laughs> does it matter which one? Like, can I just pick? But they, we are told something very specific here that only could show us Jesus. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. Who is the only person in Bethlehem that night 
who couldn't get a room in an inn and was cast out to the barn, and the only place they could find to care for their newborn was in a manger. Jesus. We look at it as a tragedy. We look at it as, oh boy, that is awful. Wow, what a terrible situation to have happen. And the angels are like, oh no, that's the only way we could tell it. God in his wisdom was like, I got to get this message to these people. I got to make it significant so that I can use it as an arrow and I can point them precisely where I want them to be. What do I do? Oh, I put them in a manger. No one else is going to be in a manger. That's crazy. Who puts a child in a manger? You see, it's not just the Old Testament. It's even the New Testament. It points us specifically, very narrowly to Jesus Christ. Even there, something that we look at and go, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of sad. They look at and go, and that's exactly what we want. That's why we, the, 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 the world, let me get my wits about me again, the, the world doesn't respond. The, the, the world all but ignores this, except for a chosen few, the shepherds and the wise men. But the heavens, they're paying careful attention. They are very aware of what is going on, and they are very alert to the fact, and we see this in our second section. I invite you to look through there with me. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds. Shepherds were, were outcast. Shepherds did a job that no one wanted, that everyone needed. They were dirty. They were smelly. They had to chase off wild animals. They had to sleep with sheep. They had to sleep outside. People needed sheep. It was a, it was a good profession. But it was one kind of, if you really couldn't do anything else, maybe you could be a shepherd. And you do that night after night, by yourself, away from others, tending sheep in the day and in the night, caring for their needs, watching over them. And this night seemed to be like any other night. There, there was no indication, at least as far as anyone knew, because they weren't paying attention. And then the sky explodes. The heavens are shown forth the glory of God Almighty burst into their eyes before them. It's, it's, it's almost as if the, the closest thing I can think before you today is almost as if you were listening to someone deliver a sermon and then immediately the sound system goes hay, haywire and then a, just a decibel earth-shattering, ear-shattering pierce goes through. We get that for a second, but imagine those shepherds they're in this dark room, they're in this dark night, and then boom, light. And they get a message, a message from God himself. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now we need to be clear here, we're not sure if God told the angels the plan. We don't know if they knew or not. We don't know if he laid out before them, this is how I'm going to save my people. We do know this, God didn't send Jesus for the angels. A third of the heavenly host acted in rebellion, led by Satan to take over, and God cast them down. He didn't send anyone for them. But we do know angels standing around the, the throne of God repeatedly, day after day, proclaiming His glory, proclaiming His majesty. They see this unfold. 
They, they witness this take place. Jesus leaves his spot. He leaves his position. He gets off of the throne. He comes down and agrees to come to be born, to live, to be bound into human flesh, fully God and fully man. And the angels are looking. They don't know what to make of it. This is wonderful. This is incredible. This is amazing. I don't really know what's going on, but this is beyond anything I could understand. You, you just get this like honest reaction from the angels here. And we can learn a great deal from this interaction between the angels and the shepherds. There really is a great deal of foreshadowing here. Who did the angels go to? To the kings? To rulers? To religious elite? To city officials? No. The angels went to shepherds. And you almost have to say it like that with that disdain in it, like, oh, shepherds. The angels went to the shepherds. Why is that significant? Who was Jesus' ministry to? Who were the ones that listened to him? People like shepherds and tax collectors ew, and sinners. Who were the ones that ignored him? The religious elite, the city officials, the kings and people in high places. The angels come to the shepherds because that's precisely the kind of people who would come to Christ. We can also see in the message, the message itself, the excitement there. Heaven is put on display before these shepherds. You know, I, I tried to look it up. I, I'm, I'm a man of numbers. A multitude of the heavenly host proclaiming. And I said, you know, I can figure this out. We can calculate this. Only problem is, is the word multitude can't be defined. It just says many. You look it up. Go home and look it up. Even in the Greek, many. <laughs> and almost, you almost could interpret it as an undefinable number. That actually would be an accurate description of that word. So you really can't calculate it. But can you, can you put yourself in that position? Can you see it? So many angels, you can't count them or even try to count them. The, the curtain of heaven is peeled back. Glory to God. These angels are overwhelmed and overcome with wonder and excitement. From their perspective, nothing short of this heavenly medley would be appropriate in this moment. They couldn't think of anything any grander than this. While the world is silent, while the world is ignoring him, heaven rejoices. The Savior has come. He came to man. And what would be the outcome of this wondrous night? What, what would be the consequence? And the angels tell us right, right there. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This moment, this wonder of wonders, this instant would bring peace. Peace for those who know God and trust him. And I don't know about you, but I cannot think of something the world needs more than peace. I, I, even to this day, I, I cannot think of something we need more than peace. Sadly, the world does know that, and they seek it by going as far away from God as possible. They, they admit, we need peace, and they say, how are we going to get it? Get rid of God. The, the very thing they need is the very thing they shun. The very thing they long for, they chase away. But there is no peace apart from Christ. Which leads us to our final point this morning. I invite you to consider with me the, the worldly reaction or our response to the birth of Christ. 
I know we've, you've got to give it to the shepherds. I, I, I really, you know, I, I, I kind of make fun of them a little bit, but all things considered, they're shepherds. It's in their name, right? Shepherds do what? They care for sheep. That's their job. That's your one task in this world. The heavens are rent open. The angels sing forth praise. And then what do they do? They forget their shepherds. They leave immediately. They abandon the sheep. Why? Because a Savior is born. And that is more important than their job. That is more important than their livelihood. That's more important than their sheep. That is more important than everything. They go to see the Savior. It tells us very clearly here, we must go. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us, and they went with haste. That word we can define, it means in a hurry. It means quickly. It means with effort, with exertion. They hastily made their way to the manger. If I could encourage us in any way this morning, I would be, be like the shepherds. Be like the shepherds. Oh, that you and I would be excited about the Savior. That we would desire eagerly and with haste would we go to him in prayer? Would we go to him in his word? Would we go to him in fellowship? Would we go to him with our worries, with our cares, with our fears? Enough of this, ah, when we get around to it. Enough of this, oh, when we have time. No, would we be like the shepherds and go with haste, dropping everything else? Because this is the most important thing that has ever happened. Would we find fulfillment, joy, and peace in Christ? Now, there is another choice. There is another option. And it is displayed before us in our text. It's, it's an argument from silence, but it's a pretty strong argument. We can do nothing. Like everybody else. Matthew tells us the wise men also make their way there eventually. But here we've got the shepherds, we've got the wise men, but everybody else, they're silent. There's nothing. Where are the Jews? Where are the Pharisees, the scribes? They are absent. They do not come. They choose to ignore the Savior. Why? Most likely because they've forgotten the very word of God that they had committed their lives to learning and knowing and living by. They knew what was right. They knew what to do, and yet they ignored it. Really, in a lot of ways, we're faced with the same situation today. Jesus Christ was born. He came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. We're told today, if you repent of your sin, place your hope in Jesus Christ, and trust in him, then you can become children of God. We can have our sin forgiven and be made whole. We may not have been there to celebrate his first coming. But in the book of Revelation, we read, Jesus is coming back. That was just part one. He will come a second time, and he, when he does, he will take his people home. And when he does, there will be another celebration, a celebratory feast. 
the Lord's Supper, Jesus has told us, I won't eat of it again until I eat of it with you in heaven. I couldn't make the first one. But I promise you this, I won't trade anything in the world for the second. Is that your heart today? Is that where you are? Do you look with an excitement and with anticipation? Are we going to go the way of the Pharisees, the scribes, the rulers, the leaders? Are we going to, eh? My prayer for each and every one of us is that we look with eager anticipation, that you see the need to run to the Savior. May you wonder, as the angels did, at this awesome work of mercy and of grace. I have this week, and I do even this day, pray that each and every one of you have a very merry and blessed Christmas day. But this can only be true if you know Christ. And again, I said it last night, and I say it again. If you don't, what are you doing? It's in the name, Christmas. How can you celebrate a day without celebrating the one that made it? But if you do know Christ, may you celebrate all the more this day, for Jesus Christ is your peace. And know that he is your peace this day and every day forth. He has not failed to complete any of the prophecies, any of the promises. And he won't forget a single one. May you have this peace. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we live in a world, as we live in lives of turmoil and conflict, as we live with challenges and difficulties, as we seem as a society to stray farther and farther from you, Oh, that we would be reminded today and every Lord's Day, but particularly on the day that we celebrate Christmas, Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive sinners, to save them from their sin. He purchased their forgiveness with his own blood that they might have peace. You foretold of this in the Old Testament. The heavens proclaim it at his birth. Nature and the world around us show us that we serve a loving and good God. Oh, Father, would we react with joy, with celebration? Would we respond like the shepherds? Will we not respond like all of those that should have been there? Pray for everyone here, that they might know this in their heart, that they might live in peace, a peace that can only come from knowing you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for this day and this time to celebrate your word. We pray that you would use it to transform our lives and our hearts. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.